Hey everyone, it's Ryan. Just wanted to give a quick trigger warning here at the top of the show. At around 38 minutes, Katie talks about suicide while discussing the manga Orange. And then again at around 55 minutes and 30 seconds. So I talk about suicidal thoughts uh, when discussing The Last Unicorn. And that's it. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hey, it's me. I'm Alan. What was that? That's the, char- that's the character I do on Fireside Friends. We should just um start right there. Hey, folks. <laughs> hey, folks. You're all looking beautiful tonight. Hey, okay. folks. I'm the wacky Fireside Friends co-host. It's me. Fire, fire. <laughs> it's me, Forrest Burns. We can't have that one. Oh, my God. Please, Wait, no. I need to go to the South Boulevard District and pick up some Firestones. Only you can prevent wildfires! Yeah, that would totally be Forrest Prince's voice if it had a voice. I wish I could do voices. You, can do, you can do voices, Katie. Um, You can Naruto. do anything if you can believe in yourself! <laughs> Alright, Naruto. Naruto's on this podcast now. Believe it! Squad! <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to Fireside Friends. This is episode 4. I'm Ryan Prasad and with me are my co-hosts Alan Ibrahim. Hello, hello! And Katie Marie. Howdy! We have reconvened at our regular campsite. We're by a fire and we're here to talk about uh, some of the games, some of the TV shows, movies, and stuff that we've been enjoying over the past few weeks. And then... Later on, we're going to talk about The Last Unicorn, which is our shared experience. But before we get to all that, how's everybody doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right. <laughs> Did you like that, Alan? Yeah, I was. that was real good. <laughs> real, I've, been work, I've been working on it. I, was, I, I got up today. I'm like, how should I start the podcast? This, this, uh, <laughs> that, that's and in a cold out. sweat, you woke up and said, this is the one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm also doing all right. The park, I got lost for a minute, but the park ranger led me here and I brought a bag lunch. So if y'all want like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, I got them. Uh, I just brought some marshmallows. Well, that's good. We roast them up later. That's good. Yeah. I got the weenies. The we what? What are, <laughs> what are weenies? You know, like hot dogs. Hot dogs. Oh, <laughs> I've never heard anyone call them weenies before. And now a you have, roast? yeah, now you have an isolated clip of Katie saying, I got the weenies. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> uh, all right. Well, I'm going to start uh, talking about what I've been doing. Uh, it's been a weird couple of weeks just personally, but uh, one of the things that has kept me calm over the past couple of days, I actually got this Wednesday. 
either Wednesday or Thursday, uh, I got Trackmania Turbo, which is um, a racing game that came out a couple days ago. Uh, so if you don't know, Trackmania has been around for a while, and it's basically a game where uh, you you're there are these tracks that some of them come come include with the game but there's a huge emphasis on like user created tracks and basically um for each track you're just basically trying to get the best time um so right now i'm playing through like the tracks that come with the game uh and playing them offline uh so how it works is that there are like gold silver and bronze like tiers of times and I've been mainly shooting for the silver tier and uh, enjoying myself that way. Um, but there is like a huge emphasis on like on playing online and just uh, com- competing with other people on a leaderboard and trying to uh, get the best time out of everybody in that room. And that's kind of what the appeal of Trackmania is. Um, but yeah, what I really like about this game is that like. I have to say it's like one of the it's like the most fun I've had with a driving game in a really long time just because it's like really simple like a lot of racing games nowadays are just like let's be super complex in how we present cars and let's fetishize the hell out of cars um and with like stuff like Trap Mania or you know this game reminds me a lot of uh, uh Burnout 3 or Burnout Paradise where it's like you're in a car, but like it, it's a car. You know what a car is like. It's basically like the the kids' version of like. I know what a car is. I want it to do cool shit, and like in Trackmania, there are a lot of tracks that are just like roller coaster tracks. It's like a lot of stuff you would see like in a Hot Wheels set, but like in a game, to the point where like one of the tile sets uh, of Trackmania is literally called Roller Coaster Lagoon. Like, it knows the kind of game that it is. Just, like, this ridiculous, like, you're going through loop-de-loops and making these jumps. And it's just really ridiculous. And it's got a really, like, nice look to it. Like, very bright. And uh, as a result, like, it's really relaxing to play. Just because you're kind of, like, mind... It's not mindless, but, like, you're trying to master these courses in a way that's, like, really satisfying, and, like, the control feels really good because uh, it controls a lot like some of the burnout cars, and that is, like, the sweet spot for me when it comes to uh, car controlling games, and uh, just running through tracks is just a lot of fun. So, yeah, I'm really glad this game came out on PS4 because I don't have a good enough... Uh, PC to play all the PC games uh, that came before it so I'm glad they brought this one to consoles and I've just been having a blast with it that's Uh, awesome yeah Um, Trackmania is a cool thing because I I played the whatever the first release on the PC was where it was basically free and you paid for like tile sets and I love that freeform thing that you mentioned where it feels like so many driving games are about uh, fetishizing cars or you know uh, highlighting how fun it is to win races and to like be victorious and the Trackmania series is more just like about self-improvement and like I'm going to improve my lap times and that's like the the, the serious play of Trackmania but then there's this other element of like early 2000s PC mod culture where there's just like 
at least on the PC version, or like the previous ones, I don't know if the PS4 version really can keep up with this kind of thing, but like you're on someone's custom server from Germany and there's like weird uh, techno remixes of the Barney theme song playing in the background and the stage is made out of bacon, just like complete nonsense. And you just come in and then you beat the track and then everyone beats it and they leave. And it's just this like window into a world you've never seen before uh, filtered through a really fun and satisfying uh, game that like is... It's fun because movement is fun, you know? Like, And yeah. that's a thing that I know they've been improving on with all the Trackmania releases. Uh, so I'm really intre- I'm really considering picking up this new one on PS4 because that sounds like a ton of fun. Yeah, I guess the only thing is like it's not on PC, so it's not going to have all of the weird mods and stuff that you right, would get right. with the PC version. But this is my first time I've played one of these games and like the core of it is just really fun to me. Totally. I mean, it's always refreshing when you find a game that's like, you know, about actually having fun and not necessarily being serious or like overly important and that kind of thing. Yeah. It's just nice to relax sometimes. It's one of those games where they know it's ridiculous. There is a mode in this game uh, that you can, it's like couch co-op, but you're controlling the same car. Uh, so you, you, you and whoever you're playing it with is just trying to move in like the same direction at all times and that level of ridiculousness uh shows some self-awareness uh so yeah it's pretty awesome it reminds me of the plessy levels in super mario 3d world where you're one to four players on the back of a dinosaur running or you know sliding down a mountain down like a waterfall and you all have to move at the same time i really like that um like cooperative but playing the same character sort of thing yeah i I find that kind of stuff really really interesting and that's cool that there are still games that do that yeah it's really great uh i guess the other thing i'll talk about uh is the tv show portlandia if you don't know what it is it's basically a sitcom uh created by uh fred armiston and carrie brownstein uh they just wrapped up their sixth season um and i have to say i'm really surprised uh by the season because the last few seasons uh haven't been great uh for this season uh there's a lot more of a sense of earnestness so uh one of the episodes uh, i guess a couple of them actually um are about like getting older and like coming to terms with like you know feeling like you haven't done enough with your life and stuff like that and there are a bunch of other like little sketches that aren't as like broad as that that just uh are just as earnest but like before it before like season five and stuff it was like oh they're going through the motions they're picking the topic of the week and they're doing something goofy with it but it's like it didn't really have a punch it didn't uh, at a certain point it felt like they were running out of ideas but for this one like you could tell that they were going for something different and uh, it's a lot more fun to watch because of it. Uh, so, Alan, you've been watching this along with me, too. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I've been a fan of Portlandia for a long, long time. And I agree with you that the last couple seasons were just kind of like spinning their wheels and doing weird stuff with characters. But the season felt very grounded and very much like we know what works and we know how, who to bring on for our guests and stuff. And it's very, it's very focused. Um, cause sketch comedy, oftentimes like character based sketch comedy can kind of go 
in so many directions and just kind of like lose sense of what made it funny. And the core of Portlandia is just like, this is a city that is so unlike any other that we just had, like there is infinite potential for comedy here and infinite potential for interesting, unique situations to, to delve into in Port in the city of Portland. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be some current event stuff, but in Portland at a Bernie Sanders rally, a bird landed on Sanders' uh, podium, and every and everybody cheered at the bird. Like that, is, <laughs> I know that. Like if you like, if you're, if you think that's the most hilarious thing in the world, like Portlandia is the show for you, because totally. that is like the most Portlandia thing I've seen in my entire life. Everybody, that. it was like standing ovation for the bird. Yep, that is yeah, yep. <laughs> they they um. It's, that show is similar to a lot of sketch comedy in that, although it's really funny, it also has like predicted and uh, portrayed life weirdly accurately. Um, an early an early series sketch that put a bird on it um, is pretty famous at this point. Just like the idea is that it's a store where um, the way that they market things is they take normal stuff like bags and clothing and they just put a bird on it and then they can sell it for way too much. And that's a thing that exists now, absolutely, um, in terms of like hobbyist stores. Um, and it's just like Fred Emerson and Carrie Brownstein care so much about the city and care so much about the like sense of place that it is on one hand a very funny very clever sitcom or a sketch comedy show and at the other on the other hand it's like a love letter to Portland's culture like that episode of this latest season that took place around a music festival was beautiful because it never felt like it was punching down or like making fun of the type of people that go to music festivals or the bands that play there it's just like this is a thing that we do and it's ridiculous but and people come to it for weird reasons but you know we're all here to for the same reason like this sense of togetherness i think is it pervades portlandia at its core and that's why i really appreciate that the show exists i also like it because it it does satire a lot better than a lot of the stuff that i've watched yeah uh because it really isn't like cynical about it so there's an ep- there the finale for the season is great. Uh, it is the, the outline of the plot. It is like a giant noodle monster attacking Portland, um, <laughs> and I guess this is kind of a side plot. But uh, there is um, a side plot with the mayor, uh, which is played by Kyle McLaughlin, and uh, I think he wants Nokia to move to portland or something or like work with portland yeah yeah and he thought it was like a japanese company uh oh. when it's when it's a is it finnish yes it's finnish and mm-hmm. uh yeah he's just like oh, i i uh i had a whole like ceremony set up i had a I, bowing ceremony yeah <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like we'll do it anyway and he just like hits the gong he has a gong and he oh hits gosh. it like three times and that's it. And then he bows and, and <laughs> says, thank you. That was the ceremony. Like, and they let that like, scene run. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, you could totally see someone doing that because people be racist. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> make these so assumptions. Yeah. Stuff it's... like that uh, make me really appreciate the show. Also, if I were to recommend one episode of the show uh, to someone, it would be the one with Louis C.K. Uh, it's called Family Emergency. It basically... Louis C.K. cancels a show and says that he had a family emergency and then Carrie and Fred find him at a restaurant and they make 
him uh, take them out to dinner uh, so they won't tell anyone. And friend Carrie tell Louis D.K. terrible jokes the entire episode, and it's incredible. Perfect. Such a good episode. Yeah. Oh goodness! I that that episode also has the line um, when they're in the car and they tell him to say a joke and he's like, you can't just tell someone to say a joke. Like that's like telling someone to just like sing the star. Am I getting the, am I getting this line right, Ryan? You can correct me. But he's like, that's like telling someone to just like sing the Star Spangled Banner and they're like, do you want it now? And then the yeah. two of them just like break into a version of the Star Spangled Banner and they're oh like, do gosh. you want us to do the whole song? Like we can. It's not hard. Um, yeah. <laughs> Oh, t- that show tickles me in like a very unique, specific way that I love. Um, <laughs> uh, there's my favorite part, not to dwell on this too long, but my favorite part is when uh, Fred and Carrie are writing in line for the Louis C.K. show, and the bit is just Fred is mansplaining Louis C.K. to Carrie. Yep. Oh my gosh. It's my favorite part <laughs> of that whole thing. Uh, Katie, have you watched any Portlandia? I have not. A lot of it is on Netflix, and I think that's one of those shows where, like, whenever a season ends and the next season starts, they put the previous one up, so um, you can get your fix if you're interested and in it. This sounds like a thing. Yeah, I am interested. Show. I really like, uh, I really like Carrie, and she, she seems pretty talented in multiple ways. So I'm kind of looking forward to watching it actually now from yeah. hearing it from you guys. Yep, it's really fun. Alan, do you have stuff? <laughs> yes. In the Google Doc that we used to write down what we're going to talk about, I just wrote the word love, which... I was confused. <laughs> well, yeah, let's just talk about love. Love is a Netflix show. Um, oh. A... <laughs> we could all... <laughs> but here's the thing is, like, talking about it, I cannot separate it from a discussion about lowercase l love. So I think that we can kind of, you know, push it in that direction. But it's You a... could have brought it up a month ago. We should have had a Valentine's Day talk whoops we're dated <laughs> um speaking of dated this is a it's a netflix original series i created in part by jed apatow and uh, leslie arfin and paul rust uh and it's basically paul rust and gillian jacobs are just two people in their late 20s or actually in their early 30s rather they do mention their ages and they live in los angeles and they are coming at each other from very opposite points of life so like paul rust's character is this um like performatively nice quote nice guy um, who works as a uh, tutor on a television show set. Like, so he's like a tutor for the younger actresses, which is just an interesting job to write a show character, like a TV character about, because you never think about that. Like the person who teaches the actress because they can't go to school is a, a person that gets paid and, you know, has a whole life. And Gillian Jacobs is this like person who's been in a lot of relationships and is kind of uh, has like an, a compulsion and like an addiction of sorts to a lot of things. She has a very addictive personality to like drugs and alcohol and uh and love um which so they bump into each other and it initially feels like it's going to be this really rote rom-com because Judd Apatow is like you know is pretty funny but a lot of his stuff in the last couple years has been slipping away from um like wacky comedy and just getting more into like rom like basic more forms of rom-com I guess but what's brilliant about love the show is that none of the characters feel like, they all feel like they know the tropes, and they're like, no, this isn't how people act. This isn't how people actually progress through a relationship with each other, because they're really, the two characters' relationship doesn't progress linearly. Like, they don't just, like, fall, go on a date, and then fall in love, and then they get married. It's, like, it's so painfully 
brutally real. They they will kiss and then they'll go on a date and then the date will go really badly and they'll try again. And there's a lot like technology is a big um, factor in the show's plot progression. Excuse me. So they're like always texting each other and you sort of like get into this. What is it like having a relationship in 2016 with Internet culture and the way that like there's a whole episode where Gillian Jacobs sees Paul Russ character with another girl and then starts following her on Instagram and is like learning about her life and trying to figure out why she knows this character, why she knows Paul Russ character and all this stuff. It's like it's painfully relatable, even as someone who's never had a relationship like this. Um, of that sort uh, it's just so it knows it gets itself and it doesn't try to be um quaint or easy like it doesn't it doesn't end necessarily happily um i believe they got picked up for a second season but it is it's just so the moment for me that sold it as like this is not a show about characters this is a show about people um so gillian jacobs character works as a um she works at a radio station where the the DJ is a um like a, th- a radio therapist, um I don't know what the word for that is, but uh he is played by this comedian Brett Gelman. There's a lot of like famous comedians on the show, and uh his character is very um like I'm gonna give these people advice and I'm really smart and he kind of seems like he's gonna flirt with Gillian Jacobs' character and seem like it's gonna be a sexual harassment thing and he's gonna make her feel bad and all this, and she confronts him about it. And he has this moment where he calls her out and says, like, it's I'm not that guy. I'm not that kind of person. Like, do you know how hard it is to be on the other line of somebody who has these like incredibly serious anxiety and moral issues in their life? And they're putting me on the on the spot as like, you're the person that's going to fix me. And can you imagine how scary that is as a human being to like be on the phone call with someone and have them hang up? And you're like, I don't know if they just left to go kill themselves. Like, that could be a thing that just happened. And I come in and I do that every day. So, like, that character just goes from the generic, like, hippy-dippy radio DJ to, like, a real person real quickly. Um, And every character is like that. Every single one um, feels real by the end of it. Like, it's such a brisk ten episodes. And it's, it's uncomfortable. And it's, you know, but it's beautiful. And it's very funny at times. And it just, it felt like the closest, the the best version of like a, a show about romance that I've seen probably ever, because none of it feels like it's trying to perform for everyone. It's just here because this is how two people fall in love. <sighs> it's really I good. I really recommend it. Ask it. Does it have like a an actual resolution to like what happens? I don't, I'm not asking like for what that is, but I'm asking like, is that a thing? Well, when I was partway through it, I was asking a friend who had watched all of it, like, is this going somewhere? Because they keep sort of like getting together and then bumping into each other and leaving, going separate ways. Because it is about them, two, the two of them separately, not the two of them together. Uh, but they were like, yeah, they're getting a second season. And I'm like, okay, so it's going to end on a cliffhanger. But it doesn't. Like, it totally ends with, it does end with a resolution of like, this is a thing that just happened. We're going to move on from here, you know? Like, that's just how relationships work. We're going to try again. <laughs> Even though things got real real nasty for a while. Like, the last couple episodes were just incredibly triggering in terms of my, like, relationship anxiety and dating anxiety and this stuff. Because it felt too accurate. And an important thing to note about it is that it's a character, it's a show about a man and a woman. But it's not the type of show where guys will always relate to the guy and girls will always relate to the girl. Because I related to both at different times, constantly. It's just, they're not... 
they're not just like the girl who's you know emotional or whatever there's no stereotypes in the show and when there are they address it like it's just so oh, it's a satisfying show but if you are okay with the like high emotional toll that can come from a difficult relationship then it is so worth your time that's very powerful everything you said actually so <laughs> i don't just... know if i have that in me to watch it <laughs> the first because... couple episodes are really funny and then you're like oh 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 this is going badly oh i feel it that kind of reminds me of master of none it doesn't have as much emphasis on relationships but like when they do go into it it's i'm getting secondhand anxiety over here yep, yep. <laughs> and yeah master of none is similar but i feel like my problem with master of none was that it uh like occasionally felt like it was being a little bit parentalist and being like hey listen listener or viewer yeah here's how you true. should think about something um and it'd be kind of like and not all of that characters reacted really well i feel like love is a much more uh rounded show that is like not trying to tell you anything it's just trying to explore a relationship yeah that's true and it's like beautifully shot and all that stuff so yeah definitely give love a shot if you're willing to definitely be prepared for for hardship if you're going to give love a shot so bring tissues. <laughs> bring tissues if you're going to fall in love. Okay. Oh, that was cool. <laughs> that was nice. <laughs> I was teeing that up like a sweet little like T-ball and I'm like, is Katie going to get it? Is Ryan going to get it? <laughs> I mean, Who's I got it? it, but like my whole thing is I refuse to let you have any satisfaction with your puns. <laughs> That's the glory of this podcast is I have Katie finally someone who will laugh at my, my trash. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of katie speaking of me what have you been up to this week so over the past week or so from the past few days i've been playing heroes of dragon age which is Ooh. a mobile game um i was inspired to restart my interest in dragon age since last week during the break of our podcast um we talked about dragon age briefly and like its inclusion of trans characters and stuff like that which i thought was amazing um, and it being my favorite game series of all time, I recently discovered that they do have a mobile game, and they have had one for a decent amount of time now. Um, and it's pretty interesting, um, because, you know, with our experience with EA having, like, uh, we're not going to put this in because it's not canon, Dragon Age also being an EA um, creation under Bioware is like, well canon basically does not exist in this mobile game we have characters who have never fought together who didn't exist at the same time doing quests where some of these characters didn't exist in and they're all on the same team and they're all doing their own thing hmm. so it's really neat um because you know you're going through some of the same plots that were relevant in the game series but you're playing with characters who aren't necessarily relevant the game series um or in the specific plot that they're playing in and um what you do is you collect sort of figures i guess they're kind of like figures cards it's one of those things where you collect and you upgrade them um you put them in a team and as far as like strategy goes you can you put them in like specific rows because there are factions in the game um including the same faction in a row gives you a row bonus. You get an even greater bonus if your entire team is made up of the same faction. Um, 
And then you go out and you can battle other players to earn trophies and like get up on this leaderboard. But you can also um, go through the main quest, which as I said, is just plots taken from the original game series itself. Um, and it, it kind of isn't in your hands. Um, you just hit play and you have your team, you're set up, you can enchant them with runes. That gives you bonuses to health or power, or you can say like target the specific person. Um, but other than that, you just hit play and you fight and, uh, based on how well you set it up, you can win or not. Um, so that's been taking up a lot of my time. It's a pretty decent time waster without actually having to put a lot of focus into the game itself. You can kind of mm -hmm. just set it up and play through it. So it's nice as a small distraction or something to do with your hands without requiring you to focus too much or be overly involved in the gameplay. So that's been fun. Cool. I really like that. I, uh, I, I apparently, according to the iPhone, I've downloaded this game before and played it. I don't remember liking, or I don't know <laughs> if I liked it or didn't like it. It was, it was just a lot. I downloaded a lot of things. Um, I love Dragon Age as well, and it's interesting to me that they chose a story-based game to make a story-free, collectible card free to play game uh, out of. That just seems like a weird decision, but, I mean, it's a hot property, especially after Inquisition came out, and a lot of people liked that. Um, last year? Yeah. So, uh, I, I guess I'd be interested in playing it. I just haven't enjoyed a card game in a long time. Like, Hearthstone was the only one that even... Uh, <laughs> like registered a pulse with me, but um, I haven't played a good mobile game in a long time, so maybe I would need because I like Dragon Age, and it's like maybe I can't make the cool people, the cool uh, elves kiss, but I can <laughs> uh, level up my cards, which is also a fun thing. You know, it is, and I don't know. It's it's it was kind of um. When I went into the game, I expected, you know, the same kind of, like, tactics and strategy and plot-heavy involvement that I experienced in the original Dragon Age series or whatever. But this right. mobile game does not have that at all. And so, <laughs> I'm like, you know, that's a very um, interesting direction to take. But I also think, in that way, you're able to um, appeal to people who like characters across all of the different games. Because now you get to play with them and experience them. Um, even characters that are from different timelines or whatever. And it's all in the same. So you have everyone you love together and everyone's happy. Nobody's dead. <laughs> and yeah. Because I love, I love that companies are willing to, sorry, are willing to like play with their license enough that they're like, everyone's alive and we're all friends. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can have like, um, you know how the Grey Wardens fight against the Darkspawn. You yep, can have of course, Grey Wardens as one does. and Darkspawn on the same team fighting together. Oh, they they discovered that friendship is the true meaning of war, of dragons. Yes, <laughs> friendship is the true meaning of dragons. That kind of reminds me of Disney Infinity, uh, especially like the Star Wars one, where you could just be like, I want to play as Ahsoka and Rey and Finn and no one else. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, yeah, that's accurate. Um, so... I what what does it remind me of? EA does that a decent amount. They did that with the Trespasser DLC in Dragon Age, where they're like, everyone's friends, we're all just gonna hang out. Yep. And they, they did, did that with the Citadel DLC for Mass Effect. Citadel DLC like, is so good. I know. 
<laughs> like we're all gonna have a party. The game is done. We did it. Um, I guess that's a that's a weirdly EA thing. <laughs> Friendship is the best. Yeah, everyone's okay, and we're all together. That's what matters. Well, I think that Bioware knows that people like their characters, so. Yeah, that's a, that's I actually mean, a Bioware thing. You're right. I shouldn't call that an EA thing. Very yeah, much but so. Like, uh, I guess that's I guess that's a regular thing with their DLC now. Is like, hey, let's just have these characters interact with each other instead of like, oh, it's the end of the world. We gotta fix the problem. So actually, um, this past year, I went to a Bioware Q and A panel at DragonCon, mm-hmm. and you reminded me of this when you said people love their characters. And one of the people came up and they were like, you know, um, we love your games like so much. And I think the part that we love most about the games are the characters that we can get involved with and have relationships with. So essentially they asked, will you ever make a dating game? Like a Dragon Age (laughs) dating game? Well, okay. What did they say? They were actually pretty positive about it. They were like, that is not out of the question. Like That would do actually pretty fucking well for them if they did. I would buy the heck out of that game i would buy all its dlc because well yeah it's just so involving like you just love all these people that you like battled with and stuff and mostly like with my playthroughs of dragon age i don't base playthroughs off of who do i want to play it's who do i want to romance this time around who do i want to be friends with and what character would suit them that's how i play so it's like I don't know. That would really appeal to me. And I was really happy with them because they were like, I mean, that's not out of a question. Like, we've thought about it and it every, might happen. So Every time I've tried to play Dragon Age, I just feel like I focus on the wrong things. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to run around. I'm going to collect these stones. I don't know what they do, but there's a mission that's like, collect a billion stones and you'll unlock this area. And I'm like, okay, this is taking forever, but <laughs> I could, I should do this, right? Are you talking about and a musician? I, and then at some point, I just fall off. Is this an? Did you actually do this? Like, is that or is that just an example? That's an example, but like, there's an area in like a desert. Yes. Where you I, have I to collect these about. things, and it like opens a door. The forbidden and... oasis. You're talking about collecting the shards. Yes. And I tried to do that. You should put that. And I don't there. know why. <laughs> that's that's um like. You have to have explored every single area of the game before you can really progress oh. through it. Okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's why when you were like, Bioware is considered making a dating game. It's like, wait, the Dragon game, the Dragon Age games aren't dating games? Whoopsie. I played them wrong. <laughs> uh, I know. Same. <laughs> I think that's a big reason that I disliked 2 so much was that it wasn't about... It was just like, there's a lot of combat in the same two places. And these yes. characters are great, but like not enough. I need more of that. Um, so I, yeah, just make, can I make Leliana and me kiss and then I can just have, um, I don't remember anyone else from Dragon Age. There was Morgan, there was the cool Zevran. Zevran, yeah. Is that a character? Yeah, Zevran was cute. Everyone's cute in that game. That's the other thing. It's just a bunch of cute people kissing. <laughs> and then there's also <laughs> like a bunch of war. There's like a lot of war happening and you're like, oh, <laughs> I'll get to it. Play those games on easy and make everyone kiss. That's Dragon Age. <laughs> yeah. And I'm actually proud of myself. I'm playing on hard this time. I normally play everything on easy, and I'm—I was actually gonna think wait doing a nightmare. You're gonna—you're a real gamer now. You're finally a real real gamer. gamer. I know. (laughs) Nah. Here's um... your your card is in the mail. (laughs) (laughs) My my official gamer membership card. Yeah. 
I've and your commemorative Axe body spray. Oh. And, <laughs> and your dude wipes. And Mountain Dew and <laughs> Doritos. Your gamer um, fuel. Okay, let's stop. <laughs> let's hit the brakes on that. <sighs> okay. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's um, pretty interesting. I mean, there's no relationship aspect in the mobile game. but um... <laughs> Yeah, none of what we just talked about is in this game. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it's interesting how a series has so many um, aspects that you can focus on and different ways to play it and different ways to look at it. It is my favorite series. I could talk about this for 20 years. So, <laughs> but yeah. Awesome. Is there anything else? Yeah, I mean, um, other than the gaming aspect, I've been reading this manga called Orange, which is by Ichigo Takano. I'm, I, I really hope I don't mess up people's names. But anyway, um, Orange is, is also uh, very emotional, and I cried a lot while reading it. I haven't actually finished it um, because I'm still waiting for the complete collection to come out <sighs> uh, katie why do i do this to myself <laughs> i'm sensing a theme i know classes. i know <laughs> <laughs> but anyway oh my gosh it's it's so fantastic though it's considered a shoujo manga um and it's definitely a like a romance slice of life type deal um and oh gosh it's so sad okay <laughs> <laughs> um it also is kind of sci-fi um because it deals with time travel and stuff like that so you have the main character um takamiya naho and she's a little high school girl um and she gets a letter from herself that is from 10 years in the future and basically um she's telling herself how to take these steps or whatever to save a particular classmate. And the classmate is Naruse Kakeru. And he is a transfer student from Tokyo. Um, so anyway, in the future from the letter, Kakeru commits suicide. Um, Whoa. And so it turns out these people sent letters to their past selves to try to change the past. To try to save him and make sure he's okay. Um, and that kind of thing. So it's, it's very, very emotional. Um, especially if you've struggled with that kind of thing in the past. Um, so I don't, but it, it's very pretty. Um, even though they're not from the same person, if you've ever, um, heard of my love story, like Ore Monogatari, that's a anime that's, um, been airing. It's got kind of a similar art style that, so it's nice and pretty. Everybody is cute. Um, but it, it also, I don't know, it deals with really real topics and is also very emotional. And I cried a lot while I was reading it and people ask me, why do you do this to yourself? Like, <laughs> <laughs> why do you, I don't know. Cause it feels good. Especially when <laughs> things have nice, nice, uh, endings. Um, but this has also been greenlit to have an anime adaptation which is probably going to come out sometime either this year or next year. And there's a spinoff series that actually started um, serializing today on March 25th, 2016. So that's also very exciting. But yeah, it's very emotional. It's very real. Um, Each of the characters in it is 
they're all different from each other. They have very unique personalities, and um, there's always somebody you can relate to in any way. Um, it's also really nice to see people being so selfless and stuff like that, um, and, you know, genuinely trying to help a person out who's struggling with that sort of thing. And um, as somebody who has struggled with that, like, it is, it's, it's nice to be like, oh, people care. You know, mm -hmm. so it, it's it's good. Uh, I guess I kind of want to go back to like, why do you do this? Um, <laughs> and I feel like a lot of uh, media, just in general, I guess, not even like of this kind of type is just like, for me at least, it feels like I watch a bunch of shows and stuff because I want to forget about my own stuff. Right. Uh, by... Uh, relating to characters uh, who may have had silver problems or even if they aren't like, like the stuff that they're going through in their own fictional lives uh, kind of lets me forget about my own stuff for a little bit yeah I think yeah escapism is a weird thing because it so I'm real briefly I'm reading this book for a class called the player of games by Ian Banks and it's a book from the 80s about a society that is essentially perfect and utopian and um they spend their time and their and their fun time playing this like board game that simulates a reality of consequence and difficulty and so i was thinking about like why do we in our world consume stuff that is sad if the world is sad because wouldn't it make more sense if the world is sad and we consume stuff that makes us happy because i watched yeah. love and i told you i like that show because it's tragic <laughs> and really um, difficult, but I think that it's like partly a solidarity thing. Um, mm -hmm. We're like, life is hard for me, and I love seeing people have harder, harder lives than me because it puts things into perspective. That's a big reason why I enjoyed love, is because I'm like, none of this is gonna happen to me, probably. Oh god. <laughs> um, and I imagine that's a big reason why anime resonates with people, is because it's like, ah, everything's just the worst, and it feels good to get invested in things. It does. I especially like it. Um. I don't know. I like it when things have happy resolutions and stuff like that. But I also have this weird feeling of satisfaction when things don't turn out okay. When things mm -hmm. are actually terrible and they end badly. Everybody dies. That kind of thing. I'm like, I'm glad you ended it like that. Because there's too much happiness. Nothing ends happy all the time. Don't know why I think that way. It's actually kind of sad. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's why I asked about cool. how love um, had a, a resolution or if it had one at all. Because there yeah, was... Yeah, it's... Yeah. Yeah. No, you go ahead. <laughs> okay, there was a show that I watched. Um, I, I mean, classic weeb Caitlin. It was an anime. Classic um, weeb. <laughs> Gekon Shoujo Nozaki-kun. Um, Gesundheit. Thank you. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> there is no resolution. Um... It's, oh. it's a story about love and different people who um, have feelings for each other or whatever. Nobody gets together in the end. Nobody knows how they feel about each other. Nothing like that happens. And I'm like, what? My heart is broken, but at the same time, I'm really satisfied. Because would that happen in real life? Probably. Like, um, So I was wondering if something similar happened in love because, you know, you talked about them having issues and not necessarily being together all the time. I was like, 
maybe they don't resolve it together. So right, and I I appreciate that stuff because eventually it gets exhausting to watch so much uh, stuff that begins has a middle and just ends and you're like well that was it like it, it is satisfying to see stuff that like real life doesn't just run in arcs that begin and end like love is a show that is about a moment in time that ends but it is like these people still live lives and we're still going to explore that in future episodes like nothing finishes it's just this that was a day that was a couple days um that's a big reason why i liked um kill a kill is because they got rid of one villain and they're like well i mean there's probably gonna be another one but like i don't know we took care of a big thing like let's be happy for now yeah uh it makes me really want to like write something like that where i can not have to cater to people's like desire for closure like just it's real life doesn't work in arcs like this is just <sighs> anime is sad and beautiful and so is real life <laughs> what I'm saying. same yeah all right I hate to put the brakes on the anime, but we need to put the brakes on the anime. And talk about a thing that's basically anime? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about Blast Unicorn. In the sea The fish have learned to fly On a moonlit night On wings of silver As the enchanted stars Sail serenely by Do they know Never seen again Go Go and ask the magpie Where do unicorns go? In the tree The birds have learned to speak Gaily colored They keep their secrets In a parade of clouds Playing hide and seek Do they know at sea and never seen again Does myth 
and mystery lie Where the unicorns go talk about the last unicorn uh directed by jules bass and arthur rankin jr and it's based on a book by peter s beagle uh what do we think about this movie oof <laughs> oofa oof. doofa <laughs> i picked this movie for us to watch this week because this episode because i have heard a lot about it and um I didn't know a lot of the talent behind it. I just I had heard the sort of theme song, which is absolutely majestic and perfect. And um, I was like, oh, this looks like a cool animated movie. And I've been all I was told beforehand was like, this is a movie that a lot of people that means a lot to a lot of people. And it's also weirdly dark Um, and it's based on a book. And that's all you need to know going in. And I was pleasantly surprised because it's just it's really it's got so much like interesting subtext. And it's just a well paced, well told story. that's like really mature and thought provoking for, and but it's also fucking gorgeous. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to make every background of this movie my like desktop background because it is a feast for the eyes, um, in every way, and it you know recalls so much of my childhood in terms of the story and the look of it, um, because we were talking the in the segue about how this like. This movie looks like early Miyazaki. Like this movie looks like eighties anime, um, in a big way. Even though it is not it is American I believe it American the film. Yeah. Uh it's just it's With like, music from America. Music by America, <laughs> not the whole country, but in fact the band. Um which we'll talk about the music that adds a really weird, unique tone to it, which I appreciated, but um Yeah, I what where do we where do we want to start? Because like wow. Yeah, I just want to say, first of all, for me, it didn't look pretty or like as pretty as it should. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, because I didn't realize that this movie was on Netflix, oh. and I, I, it, I got it on Amazon, and like the Amazon version was not great compared to the Netflix version. Uh, but it, I loved the art style a lot, and I was really surprised at how like really engaging and like well paced the movie was because at first. When the movie first started and it's all like classic musical animation thing, I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> One of these movies, I this is not my thing. Um, and then uh, as it went on, it just got better as it went along and more interesting uh, as it explored its ideas. And I really enjoyed watching it. I'm happy about that. Katie, what about you? I am such a huge fan of the color schemes in that sh- that oh, yeah. movie um i am a huge um i don't know i love watercolor looking things and um just the way the backgrounds were set up and the color schemes they use that sort of thing it is my aesthetic and i, I just remember <laughs> adoring this movie as a child for similar reasons um so, but i forgot everything about it like if you asked me a few days ago, what happens in that movie? I don't know, but it looks pretty. Um, so mm-hmm. it was really nice to watch it and get a refreshment on the plot. And um, 
bringing it back to plot relevance in the visuals, the color schemes not only just in general are amazing, but they also very much portray the emotion and the tone and mood that's going on in different locations um, as the movie progresses, which I mm-hmm. very much appreciate. I love when there's different types of lighting, different color schemes that symbolize um, different moods and emotions. That sort of stuff is very masterfully made to me. So that's my take on the that sort of thing. Rankin Bass, the people who the folks who directed it and the like company that worked on the animation primarily um, <clears throat> were a big part of my childhood because they produced a ton of uh, stop motion Christmas specials um, in the 70s and 80s, I believe. And once I realized that they were behind a lot of the production of this film, I was like, oh, a lot of the sort of strangeness of the way it looks and the way that it animates makes so much sense because... Like, for example, Schmendrick, the main uh, male character, is voiced by Alan Arkin, who is an older actor. And he was in his, like, late 40s at this time. But he's playing a character who's supposed to be, like, fairly young and spry. Um, And you're like, this is weird. Like, he plays the character well. But, they like, a lot of the actors and actresses in this movie are just way... They, they're playing, like, way older than their parts. And that is a very Rankin-Bass thing is because they come from the school of these people are more professional. They can do the voices. <laughs> like we're not going to hire people to age because it's also a fantasy story and age doesn't really have to factor into stuff. Um, <clears throat> but that their like touch is very evident in the way that this movie moves. And um, like, it's a tight, like we said, it's a very like tight 90 minutes um, act one, act two, act three. And you're talking about the color, the color scheme and like that whole stuff with the castle at the end is like all grays and blacks. And then and, like um, nasty greens. Exactly, and like nasty greens, and it's very sad and dreary, and I was like not happy with the movie at that point, but so much before that, like the, I just, I have so many thoughts. The act two, which is primarily about like meeting, the unicorn meeting Schmedrick and um, sort of like beginning their adventure, takes place primarily at like twilight, and so all of the colors are very like deep purples and blues at that point, um, and in the beginning, it's very morning time. So it, like, progresses through this, like, structure of days in a way yeah. that that gives every part of it a tone. And, like, it, it's just, it's you can sum the whole movie up in, like, a sentence. It's like, a unicorn is the last unicorn, thinks they're the last unicorn, gets turned into a human. Turns out they weren't, they are the last unicorn because a man was bad. <laughs> and, Ryan, you mentioned um, how this movie Wait, before, is... hold oh, on. Yeah, I, wanna... ahead, yeah. I just wanted to point out real quick that, like... You guys mentioned the color palette, and uh, a thing that I wanted to note was just, like, how gray the castle was and, like, the thematic symbolism that went with, like, uh, the unicorn turning into a human and, like, slowly losing, like, her motivation. Yeah. I just thought thought that was something worth pointing out. Well, related to that, you um, were telling me before we started recording that the plot of this movie felt like it was being subversive and sort of like inverting the tropes of a certain other um classic fairy tale you want to get into that uh the whole th- so they go to the castle and um this is after she turns into a human and a lot of the time she's staring at the sea yep uh which at first there's the shot before they go into the castle of her like glancing down at the sea and i thought that was like an implied like suicidal thoughts thing right which it kind of it can be interpreted as that that's how i read it yeah and then 
Uh, it turns out that the horse or the unicorns. Sorry, I almost slipped there. All the horses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the unicorns are in the water, which is, I guess, why she is staring at the water. Yeah. But for me, if you look at this movie as a response to The Little Mermaid, it's yep. kind of great because she hates being a human. Like, the moment she turns into one, it's not like, oh, I'm a beautiful girl. It's like, I fucking hate this. <laughs> Why did you do this? Yeah, she's like, what did you do to me? And, you know, the... um. The woman that joins them is like, what did you do to her? Put her back. Like, yeah. come on, Schmendrick. And that that scene is amazing because Schmendrick is like, they're like, because the whole reason he turns her into a human is because the Red Bull, which is sort of the pursuing force of the unicorn, um, is, is kind of nudging her to fall off into the water with the rest of the unicorns. And so he turns her into a human so that she can uh, not be seen or not be, you know, an issue. And they're like, why did you specifically choose a human, like, a beautiful human female form? It's like, I don't know, because I wanted to. And it's like, that's, that's like the male fantasy of The Little Mermaid is like, I turned her into a hot girl that I can now be with. Like, the reason he turned her into a girl is because he likes girls and because he's a horny boy. That's, that's the whole, <laughs> he could have turned her into anything else. And, and no, but so the easy. magic made him do it. Seriously, that yeah. was the mad. <laughs> that was the will of the magic. He says, magic "Like I'm a vessel. That. I'm not the. I'm not the controller." Even though clearly they just say before that, like you were able to choose what you turned her into. You could have turned her into a lot of things. Sorry. Yeah. Man, Schmendrick. Classic Schmendrick, and like. So the first act is a lot of like uh there's the weird owl which uh Ryan and I were talking about. What's up with that owl? Like why? Why is that the scene owl. in the movie? The owl? Yes. There's oh, no I'm owl. sorry, not the owl. What am I thinking of? The first the thing. butterfly. The butterfly. <laughs> there is an owl later. No, the butterfly. What up with that butterfly though? I don't That's know. The, that was that was the moment in the movie where we were like this isn't for me. That's what I, yeah. I had the exact same reaction, Ryan. I feel you. Like I was I I mean, obviously, when I'd watched it as a child, and I can't even ballpark how young I was, um, but I watched it, and I was basically thinking, what in the world is this butterfly? Is this what this whole movie is going to be like? I don't remember it being like this. Um, but, you know, he kind of just comes and goes and does this thing, and then it actually gets on with for real stuff. So I guess the reason he's there is to tell her about the bowl yeah um but it's interesting that you mentioned that i feel like that is like a lead-in to get the kids hooked kind of yeah if, if i'm being like cynical about it like it be. yeah. it's a goofy butterfly thing that sings a lot and says a bunch of nonsense the kids are gonna be into it i don't know we were pointing out like all of the tertiary side characters that they run into in this film are inc- are the just strangest people in the world like yeah. yeah, the thing at the end with the with the wine, like we're just gonna talk about side characters for a bit. <laughs> the laughing skeleton. Yeah. Yep. Who's oh, just like goodness. I'm giggling and I have things to say, but I'm gonna spend like five minutes just talking. And I really want your wine, and now it's invisible wine because of. Yeah. <laughs> what did the guy call uh, him? He called him like a kneecap. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it was, was an he, insult yeah, he threw did. at the skeleton, and I was like, ooh. You dig down the <laughs> yeah. Ooh, he burn. Ooh. <laughs> he felt the burn for sure. Uh, that's a good. That part of the movie is weird, but 
like they go to the i don't wouldn't say that that i mean i think this movie in general is really unusual i think yeah. the part with the tree is weird Okay, yes. we're going to talk about the tree now. Are we going to talk about the tree now or later? I think we should We're going to talk about it eventually. The tree's early on in the movie, so I think we can just get to that. Once she Well, you, okay, you you say what you were going to say. I was going to talk about the carnival scene. Yeah, that was the yeah. point of the movie where I that was like really interesting to me yeah, because exactly. It I think well, no. Uh I was going to say that was the first time they brought up the theme of like you know, all of these animals belong to me, but that's like literally the first thing that you hear uh, from the people who are looking for the unicorn. But like, yeah, just like you have like three like villains, so to say, in the row that their whole thing is like owning different animals. Uh, yeah. So very explicit theme there of uh, like holding animals captive and stuff like that, which I thought was really interesting. And like the whole, uh, theme of like myth versus reality i thought was really interesting too even though they don't really do anything uh with it in the third act i thought it was interesting uh that they at least explored like okay so you know having these like old like worn out animals isn't enough so let's disguise them and make people care about them which i thought was really interesting and uh I guess this is more explicitly stated with uh, the scene following it with, like, the leader of, like, the cult or whatever yeah. uh, saying that there's no such thing as Robin Hood and uh, having uh, Schmedrick uh, summon, like, Robin Hood and stuff. And uh, uh, and uh, Friar Tuck and a bunch of fictional characters and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful scene. Yeah. Yeah, I thought all that stuff was really interesting. Um, even though I wish they did more with, like, myth and reality stuff, but... Uh, that carnival scene is really interesting. I think the myths and and like reality stuff comes up in a subtle way in the third act, which we'll get to. But like the carnival scene specifically is that the animation of the animals coming out of their cages once they've been freed, and they're like, "I'm gonna get out, but like, what do I do? Like, I'm just sad now." And it kind of like broke my heart. Yeah. To just see something that was in captivity for so long, like uh. The Appa, Appa Story episode of Avatar The Last Airbender is maybe my favorite of that show because it's just about an animal that's in captivity being like, this is the worst! No, you shouldn't keep something in a box. Um, and that that whole scene is like weird. It's the first time where the movie gets like explicitly dark also because, you yeah. know, Schmedrick tries to free uh, the unicorn from her cage and like fails like three different times to remind, to remind the viewer that A, he's not great at magic and B, magic is fickle which is a kind of a big thing in this movie. Um, so he, like, shrinks the cage and, like, turn, turns the bars until it makes them, like, really hot. And then, uh, like, they get out and her, the leader of this... She had a cool name. Does anyone remember the carnival lady's um, name? It was Mommy... Hang on, I can... Yeah. She was, like, really legitimately scary because she was... A lot of her stuff was, like, you know... He unlocks the cage and then the, the, the lock of it talks to him in her voice... And it's like, good job, you you lied to me from the beginning. And you're like, she's everywhere. She knows so yeah. much. Yeah. And then uh, her like lackey other guy uh, gets into like a serious fight with Schmendrick, and they like almost kill each other and throttle each other to death. And then he's just like, no, I gotta go. We're out of here. Um, and it's also fun to note that Schmendrick never actually rides Amalthea because they don't ever 
Like, yes, Amalthea the Unicorn is a equine being, but it's not something to be tamed. Like, it is not... Mm-hmm. It is, she doesn't belong to anyone. So I thought that was an interesting, like, choice of them to never have him ride her. But that whole carnival scene was like, wow, this movie is interesting and weirdly dark. And then... So, like, where do they go from there, approximately? Oh, they go to the cult stuff, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cult stuff we talked about. Um, and then... So at this point, this is the thing I was talking about with, like, myths and, and, and reality. They're hyping up the castle as, like, when we get there, we're going to finally be able to do uh something. Like, they don't really... What are they trying to do by going to the castle? That's my question for y'all. Uh, They're trying to rescue the other unicorns. So why do they know that they're at the castle? Doesn't the someone, someone the tell them? The owl tells them. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. So they yeah. go there, and they, like, hype up the castle as, like, this is the place like this is the you know the big thing that we're trying to get to and they get there and not only is it gray and sad and hanging on like a sad cliff face but it's empty that oh you're right yeah Yeah. it's completely empty and they walk in and they're like this isn't a throne room like this is a prison this is where you put like people who have been trapped by circumstance yeah and the king comes out and it turns out that the, the two guards are the king and the prince respectively and they're like we're the only people here and it suggests so much. Like, it speaks volumes. And it gets back into what I was saying. Like, myths versus reality. Mm-hmm. We, the viewer, hype up the castle in our head. Like, they're going to go there. There's going to be a whole castle plot. And it's like, no, we just... We ruled for a while, and now we kind of stayed here. Like, there's yeah. this, this subtext of just, like... We, we fucked up early on, and we just kind of, like... We got to keep the... <laughs> we got to keep the location. But we don't do much ruling from here, because... I don't know. We've been here for too long. That's why Christopher Lee's character, The King, is so old. And why... Jeff Bridges' character is so excited that there's a woman because he's like, I don't see people. <laughs> I don't know what other people are like. He's just instantly it's like, like, it's like, I love her. Sad. Yeah, that, yeah. He's <laughs> in like two seconds is like, she's the one I need. And then they're like, she's an animal. And he's like, what is the line, right? <laughs> he says, I love uh, whom I love. I love yeah. whom I love. Which, nope, no, uh Prince Lear is a clocker. He's a furry <laughs> confirmed. Absolutely furry confirmed. Um, but so that whole part of the movie was like the dullest part for me where it's just a lot of like oh, I'm she's human and she like might want to stay human forever it becomes like a boring romantic story I, yeah. I feel like I wanted more forward momentum and the movie just kind of like takes a breather there for a while uh, but it's not a long section do you do you think that's intentional though because it's like like you said it's like oh we get here and there's nothing here and I guess we're gonna drift for a little bit while we try to figure stuff out I think it's really intentional because you need to learn about who the king is and who the prince is before mm. we can move to like talking about who the re- what the Red Bull is supposed to be. Because right. um, they find out while Amalthea is in this like boring romantic subplot that the Red Bull is being kept underneath the castle. And they go down there and then they see the skeleton and they give him the wine. And he's like, yeah, there's a mirror down here. And if you go through this mirror, you can just get you can, he's just there. The Red Bull is like right there. Um, so, okay, another question, because I was paying attention, but I often miss plot points like this. Why yeah. do they want to find the Red Bull? So, because he's responsible for capturing the unicorns, so uh, they kind of want to go there, and they don't they don't really, like, say how they're going to do it. It's just a thing, like, yeah. oh, we're just going to go there, and well, I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll just try to uh, figure out where they are and rescue because... them. Because her character is, like, really naive and, like, doesn't, like, straight up doesn't know that 
doesn't know about this whole thing so like i guess i'll go see what this red bull thing is i guess you know yeah and that's why when they got there and the red bull was there and they're like oh no run away i'm like what did you expect there's nothing (laughs) else here you came here looking for him like i'm sorry um molly grew is the character that they are with that is traveling with them and she uh she is responsible for for the scene that actually almost made me cry uh because her character motivation is so simple but so profound because Shemendrick is running along with with the unicorn and they run into this woman who like leaves the rest of the cult and she's like finally you decided to come and she's speaking to the unicorn unicorn's like what are you talking about and she's like i waited for you when i was a kid because i was told that you granted wishes and that you helped out little girls with everything and you never came and you represent everything oh, that yeah, went wrong in my yeah. life everything could have gone well with me if you had just come and visited unicorn's like i what like what was i supposed to do i didn't know what to think of that scene because i guess i didn't know i don't know like what role unicorns have in their world right so i felt like there wasn't enough context there like i I don't know well i don't like watching it i was really confused perhaps it didn't necessarily need context because it's never confirmed as to whether or not a unicorn can actually grant a wish like that and based off of the unicorn's like confusion i kind of think that she might not have actually been able to do anything anyway right i think that girl uh molly grew when she was younger was just like read fairy tales about like if unicorns come they'll make you beautiful and make you you know uh, all your wishes will come true and then to like be reminded of the reality of it of like you weren't you even though you're real you none of the stuff that i heard that you could do is real and that's like she's blaming all of her problems on the absence of the unicorn in her life which is, like, weirdly, it felt very human. Like, oh, if I had just gotten this thing when I was younger, everything would have been better. I know a lot of older people that are like that. Um, so she, her motivation becomes a lot of just, like, let her do what she wants. Let her just go <laughs> and find her find her unicorns. Which, right. um, at that point, they get to the castle, and then there's the romance stuff. And the reveal happens. The reveal of what happened to the unicorns and why she's been staring out at the water. Which is that uh, King... What is it called? Haggard. King Haggard, played wonderfully by Christopher Lee, uh, is like, yeah, I found a couple of unicorns when I was way younger, and they brought me so much joy, and I couldn't see them leave me. So I decided I would keep all of them so that I could mm-hmm. always look at them by trap- by throwing them into the ocean and letting them sit at the ocean under my castle. And I can look at them as much as I want, which is very much like... I don't know if I'm looking too much into this, but like, uh, I don't know, like a female empowerment sort of thing of like, I don't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't try and, and keep the people that you love in a box. Like you should, or just more of like a, what is it like being in love with something and you should let it be free and not try to like capture it and keep it to yourself. Um, right. Like, cause he ruins so many people with that. Like yeah. picking a flower makes the flower die. You keep the flower, but you're hurting it too. Exactly. And you're disturbing an ecosystem. Whoops. Sorry. Um, it's such a, that's like a really, that was a big scene. And I was like, where does the movie even go from here? <laughs> and then it's, um, and I'm sorry, I'm like dominating the conversation. I'll ask y'all about a thing, but like the scene, my favorite scene in the whole movie is the unicorns rising up out of the water and just like climbing up a cliff and just taking over. And they're like, we are part of the water now. We are in control. It's yeah. absolutely gorgeous and triumphant and 
brings some speed and momentum to this movie that for the last couple minutes had not had much uh and that was where also where i was like kind of welling up just like oh the unicorns are free everything is beautiful again yeah it was really like (laughs) cathartic to see exactly and they just run up and destroy the castle like Mm -hmm. look at do they actually like knock it down yeah i think so oh yeah power of their stampede or whatever yeah (laughs) it's fucking awesome (laughs) <laughs> which you can that i looked into as like they're destroying this like really old infrastructure yep. the old uh, guard is dead yeah uh and prince lear does he survive is he like okay yeah he's fine um he dies right protecting the last unicorn i guess like amalthea or whatever is the human version um because that's obviously not her name as the unicorn but he dies protecting her and then she resurrects him with her unicorn Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was a nice little bit of redemptive moment. We, <laughs> we were talking about Amalthea earlier and how that name is just like, I think it was just because the writers were like, we can't keep calling her the unicorn, especially if we're going to make her human. Like, we, uh, Schmedger just makes up a name and it happens to be a beautiful reference to, like, Greek myths or whatever. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's very, very convenient that they can now call her that. There's a bunch of convenient moments in this movie. Ooh, like what? Like we were talking about earlier uh, before we were recording of uh, we were talking about that moment where they get into the clock. They like, yep, there's like a door inside of the clock and they go through it. Um, and then the king destroys the clock. And then Schmedrick is like, well, he destroyed the clock. There's only one way out and it's through the the uh, beach or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, ha- dude. You didn't even know that this was a thing, and now you know all two the rules seconds ago. In the back doors, yeah. And now, so, apparently, you know this. So, I thought that was weird too. It is weirdly convenient, yeah. Yeah. Have y'all did this movie's like tone and and progression remind you of anything from your childhood? Because it was not only for me the Rankin Bass stuff, but just like a lot of children's literature for me. Um, the Phantom Tollbooth is a book that I loved when I was younger. And that is also a like adventure story about math and and stuff. But uh, it had that same progression of like there's an animal character and there's a human character and they go on an adventure. Uh, it feels like a love letter of to all of that type, those types of stories and how it's always about going and like saving the world and then the princess falls in love. But in this story, like nope, the princess is confused and turns out that she has like much bigger motives and much bigger like things to to strive for in life. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a love letter. Like, it's one of those stories. Or, yeah, in, I mean, it is. It's, like, it's, it's, it's in right that there. era. It's in 82, so it's not just, yeah. Because um, we were talking about, like, The Little Mermaid and that. The book of The Little Mermaid was many years before this movie, so it is totally feasible. And before the book, so it's totally feasible that they uh, yeah. were pulling from that. I really want to read the book. I'm interested in some of, like, the backstory. Me too. Um, yeah, don't worry. Characters. I always uh, like to get more details from the whatever the source material is maybe they explain the tree <laughs> all right let's talk about the fucking tree <laughs> what happened I don't okay know. so they get captured by oh no schmedrick gets captured by the cult leader yep. for making robin hood and all these other characters appear at a campsite and so while like the the wife is away is it the wife she's, she's called the lover of him, okay of the captain okay. i don't know if that i don't think they're married um but yeah yeah so 
they tie Smedric to a tree. Yep. And then Smedric... The way they tie him is like... Like, his back isn't to the tree, it's his front. So his, like, arms are, like... Anyway. He's yeah, embracing yeah. the tree with both his he arms is and legs. He a literal tree hugger. Yep. Um, so... He he's tries like, to free himself by t- He's like, the tree okay, around. fuck this, magic, let's go. Yep. And then, uh, for a frame, the tree turns into a penis. Yep. And then after that, it turns into a woman with large breasts, and, and it's trying to embrace him tightly. Large breast woman. It still very much looks both like a woman with large breasts, and in other frames, phallic. upside down penis. Yeah, yeah, totally. Which it's uh, so what? Especially since so, this movie I guess... has a G rating. Yep. Well, I mean, the eighties oh. they they didn't yeah. have PG thirteen. Plus, so, they also had, um, like, the the harpy had breasts. Oh, that's true, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of true, too. To. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the traditional um, interpretation of a harpy. Do you guys know what the lines that she says in that scene? Because I don't remember. No. I meant to go back and look. But, but... even her, her um, like, her hair, quote-unquote, like, the leaves and stuff, was, yeah. like, droopy, and they had, like, these droopy white flowers. And I was like, really? What? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Yeah. I think there's totally a read of that scene that there's something going on with, like, Schmedrick, uh sexually in his head. Like, he just has, like, a lot of thoughts that are but of sexual nature. Does the rest of the movie support that, though? The I fact think. that he turns Amalfia into a human girl does. But they don't explore that aspect as much as I would have if that was what they were going for. Uh, also, bringing that up, I'm very surprised that like storytelling wise um she did not end up with Smedric. yeah it i appreciated her that and prince lear yeah i I, I didn't like that she got with prince lear i would have preferred that she got with no one because it didn't seem like i mean she she's to. a unicorn again so technically she didn't go with anyone really yeah right 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 so but um yeah that's true <clears throat> i don't think a relationship with her and Schmendrick would have worked because i don't know the, like would it? Do you think it? Do y'all think it would have worked? Do you think it would have made no. sense? Because I don't think they had that kind of connection. I think it was more of just like a, where we both have a similar goal in mind and we're going the same place. Well, yeah. in most but... like storytelling, at least in from what I'm familiar with, yeah, when you're stuck yeah. with, like heteros and their things. But you know, it's a man and a woman stuck together on a similar quest. They end up falling in love. From That's media true. I've consumed and from like traditional straight standpoint kind of thing that's what i think of like that's, how, that's where I would that have goes, expected yeah. it to go that way but it didn't but but it kind of did though because they have the whole thing with the prince like they for me my read is like smedric is too much of a goof to <laughs> care about any of that stuff and like they explore like oh the prince is going to get with the princess or whatever you know uh and in the end that doesn't actually happen because she is a unicorn yeah i mean she is even though you know princely doesn't seem too uh dissuaded but yeah (laughs) 
I just, I never, the other problem with that, with her and Prince Lear is I never came to like Prince Lear. I didn't dislike no, him, but I just feel like he's like a flat. total canvas of a character. Exactly. Yeah. He's so incredibly flat. And it's weird because Jeff Bridges is one of our greatest living American actors, in my opinion. And like, he didn't bring a lot to it. It's just kind of like, I, I'm here. <laughs> I'm the prince yeah. and I love her a lot. And they That's have that where, song, like, which is nice. But. Yeah. That's where the whole like subplot of that just fell apart. Is that Prince Lear isn't even interesting in a moth? He's fucking awesome. He kills a dragon for no reason, only to impress her. And she was <laughs> and like, then, like he... gives her a thing made out of its skin. I know. And then and she just looks at he... him like, "What? Why?" <laughs> yeah. And he's like, like "Then I felt I bad a... for killing it. I am a unicorn. Like, why did you kill this other animal?" <laughs> uh, and then, and then he ends up writing shitty poetry. <laughs> wasn't even good i think he can be read as like the uh naive romantic type it's just like this is how you get you um make someone fall in love with you because he also thinks that you can make someone fall in love with you <laughs> like i'm yeah. gonna g- bring her prizes and i'm gonna write poetry like that makes sense in his world because he right. also comes from a very old point of view if you're gonna go back to the like old guard yeah existing in this world sort of thing well, he's probably but never my even problem seen is... other people before. True. Like, not yeah. many, at my... least. My problem is that it works. <laughs> I know, it works I know. Apart. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When she was like, I'm going to stay a human. I'm going to I'm gonna let just let me be a human forever. I don't care about the rest of the unicorns. I'm going to be with, with Prince Lear. And I'm like, really? Fuckboy Jones over here? Sorry, <laughs> you can cut that out. Really? <laughs> <laughs> no, please keep it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess I get. I guess we have to give him a little bit of credit, but he because he's the one that's like, no, you have to do this. Like, yeah, yeah, he does yeah. say that though. So, what's what the Red Bull is interesting to me as a concept. Well, I mean, it, it's also a very striking creature because, as we talked about, like the palette and colors and things like that, everything yeah, yeah. is very yeah. cool, and yet the nothing, Red Bull is yeah, this nothing... hot red giant yeah, flaming no- thing nothing else in the movie looks like him and yeah. you know when he's coming and you know but like what yeah. is he what do you think he like represents in this story because he isn't like they have that moment where um they, they actually like hint at the fact that his objective is to force her into the water because when he first comes and they first see it they're like he's not trying to kill her he's trying to push her somewhere like, yeah what is he what is his uh, his goal um so he kind of just like works under King Haggard, but yeah, he just like, serves under the king, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure if like the motivations are entirely relevant, right? In this case, but uh, for me, it was just like again, it goes back to like owning animals and like having them uh, kind of you know do things that. Uh, do things uh, that you want them to do so for me it was all about like ownership and like oh I'm gonna have this bowl round up all of these unicorns so I could just stare at them all day and I could do that because I'm a human and they're animals yeah well, I don't King I Haggard think... wants all the unicorns but like what is he gonna do with them in the water just look at them like he can't yeah, just... I mean, yeah just unicorns are <laughs> jam Unicorns are beautiful when they move, though. Right, they do, but they they're beautiful in movement and in in freedom. Like that's the whole thing. That's why unicorns exist is because they symbolize like wish granting and freedom. Well, why do we have zoos? Ooh, 
So that's what I took from it. I can just look at him and I can throw chips down there and watch them fight for it. I'm like, <laughs> no, that's, no, that's <laughs> not good. So sad. And good. But he news, also though. kills all of them. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, is dark, but yeah, not as bleak as I expected this movie to get. The bleak stuff was the tree where I was like, this is weird sexual stuff. And then the yeah. um, Schmedrick with the bad magic kind of scared me. We still bit. haven't workshopped what that scene means, by the way. <laughs> I don't think there's a, there's enough workshopping in the world <laughs> to fully piece apart yeah. that scene. Okay. I just, okay. I, I, I uh, can, what's the word I'm looking for? Where you like uh, 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 um, make enough assumptions that you can accept something. <laughs> I Re- just, not reconcile whatever i can come to terms with it just, in a certain way in my head i just yeah. i just wish that there was evidence in the rest of the movie that supported some sort of something that yeah. made it make more sense the tree yeah me too but a simple read of it is just like uh magic went wrong whoops and it's disgusting and disturbing. yeah but that's yeah. not Maybe. satisfying enough like why is it so phallic why it's very clearly that yeah yeah I'm not. True. I'm not Freudian right here. I mean, I am, but like, that's what it is. Uh, so we have failed to talk about my favorite character. Ooh, I'm so sorry. It's, it's the pirate cat. With, <laughs> it's like he and it has a peg leg. Oh and yeah. It talks. Oh my god! And I, he actually I laughed says so much purr, at that. purr. Yes. They don't make purring noises. He says purr. Yep. <laughs> Does it have a name? I don't know. Oh, I don't remember. Uh, no, I was watching it on Amazon, and I paused it, and it's just credited as the cat. <laughs> it's kind of appropriate. Oh my gosh. Uh, but yeah, the moment where uh, the woman pets her, or pets the cat, and he asks for more, I just laughed. That's That was the hardest I've laughed at this movie. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, they Why is there a pirate the cat, cat in this castle? Yeah. I mean, weird characters is this movie's jam because yeah. you have that. You have weird tree lady and... Weird butterfly. Uh, yeah, butterfly man and skeleton, laughing skeleton. Uh, so... Laughing I, I really like all the weird, like, one-off characters in this movie a lot. It's a lot of... It has a lot of personality. And reminds me, that's another like Miyazaki connection is just like, these are characters that exist and serve one purpose and then they are taken care of. And that's their life. Like, what does that skeleton do in its off time? It made me think a lot about like, laugh. that's why I'm saying I would like to read the book. <laughs> just laugh always. <laughs> um, like, all of these characters have a story. And even if it's not in the book, like, it's, it's, it's in my mind. I have written a headcanon for that skeleton and for that tree. Even that tree is just a concoction, but like, <laughs> that you know pirate cat is the best and pirate cat lived a whole life in that castle and had <laughs> motivations and a hunting trip and friends and you know a whole story was told of that <laughs> all right before we wrap it up did you, did you want to say something real quick oh i liked the scene where chmendrick was showing amalthea how he can juggle and was it supposed to be magical juggling or did the animation mess up there? Because oh, it was magical. He... The oranges. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was magical juggling, yeah. Okay, that's actually kind of cute then because I was like, wait, they're like moving, but his hands aren't moving. I got worried. Yeah, no, yeah. that was him doing magic. To, that's um, a cute thing. Keep him up. Anyway. Right, 
before we wrap this one up, uh, one more point I want to bring up. Uh, this is a line towards the end. I think Smedrick says this, where uh, he says uh, they're basically like debating, like, oh, should we fall in love or should we do the thing where we save the unicorns? Uh, and I think Smedrick should. The, the, I think the dude says uh, there are not happy endings because nothing ends. Best line. Best line. Absolutely. Uh, I wondered what y'all th- thought of that uh, in the context of this movie because this movie has a happy ending. Like, to say, to, for me, to say, like, to have that kind of statement uh, that's kind of be, that's sort of like, oh, we're going to subvert your expectation and then to not actually do that, to have, like, a regular happy ending is a little disingenuous to me so i was wondering what y'all thought of that well um i mean she never fully goes back to being a real unicorn anymore they talk about her being changed saying that she knows regret and she knows love and that there is still a part of her that is mortal um yeah so i don't know if that means she's going to die later on or if that means like you know, there's kind of this expectation we have sometimes where that humanity is superior to whatever else. And I don't necessarily mean, um, like, man being superior to animals, but having emotions and feeling this, that, the other thing is superior than being one-sided or that kind of thing. Um, I don't know if it's supposed to be looked at positively that she now experienced and knows love and regret and might possibly mm-hmm. die in the future i don't know if that's yeah. positive or negative that's true yeah um so i don't know if that's if that is a piece to it not ending um because we don't know what becomes of the unicorn really mm-hmm. i don't know that's my only that's my only interpretation of like what um that quote could possibly hold up in relevance to the mm-hmm. ending it is that, and also I just I appreciate that quote because um, it doesn't have to refer to like this movie ending. It's just more of like a, it's a thing to take away, sort of like a moral message of like, you know, stuff happens and then you go on and you live, and that's the that's the credit sequence. Is Amalthea is like, well, I am just free again and I can do life, uh, which is kind of inspiring. That like you're gonna go through a tough time and you're gonna have like a really profound experience, and then life is gonna keep going. Um, forget if it was in a podcast that we actually put out but like i was talking about how a lot of japanese media is about ending things and then picking up from where we left off and doing like an epilogue situation and i feel like that was that was the last unicorn being like yeah and then she just kept going and life lasted forever because things don't you know things end and then they move on that's like a thing that's been coming up on this episode a lot also yeah i like stuff i like stuff that can accept that like we can't tie it all up with a bow things aren't perfect at the end of this movie they're happy and they're content but who knows what else is going to be out there maybe there's like a whole new uh antagonist of some sort out there yeah totally all right anything else before we wrap it up here no no all right well i guess some housekeeping here at the end uh i want to thank Eli, Mary, and Jackson for sharing uh, the last episode on Twitter. Um, if you have any questions for us, you can send them in at uh, firesidefriendspodcast at gmail.com 
or you can follow us on Twitter at Podcast Fireside, and you can rate us and review us on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, you could tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell a friend of me, uh, shout it from the rooftops, uh, shout it from the mountains, uh, send a random message to someone on Xbox, uh, write it on the walls of your college uh, bulletin board, anything, if you want to spread the word. Uh, it's super appreciated because uh, we don't do any advertisements or anything, and we just do this for fun. So if you like what you're listening to uh, and you want to support us, those are ways you can do that. Um, and I think that's it. Uh, so for everyone here, uh, thanks everybody for listening. Good luck out there, and don't forget to take care of yourself. See ya. Happy Easter, Xbox.